What up, yeah, everybody? Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. We are back. It's myself, Brennan, with Ben. What up? And then Jaina on the unfortunate instance. What? Uh, it just led like you, like, yeah, we talk about how she died. Terrible. Oh, no, no, no. She's sick. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry if your heart dropped for a second she uh is she, she had us. she's no longer with us. <laughs> she hung out with some uh youth group kids youth, for a weekend and uh, came back ill which makes total sense those guys never be washing their hands otherwise i've got a new guest in the chair with us uh his right. his name is jacob I am Jacob. Jake, Jacob, tell tell the people about yourself. Well, uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, Height, weight. My name is Jacob. Height, weight. <laughs> I stand about five feet ten inches, weighing in at one hundred seventy pounds. Hey. Oh wow, that's uh, a great build. That's not what I am. I'm an average build guy. Uh, but yeah, I work as a resident pastor around here, working with the youth in some oasis in Watertown. So I'm really excited to be joining the podcast for the first time. Let's go. Yeah, so it's it's an exciting to have you because he does, like you said, he does our oasis in Watertown, and they're a group of like 40 now, right? Pretty yeah. close. Yeah, we run about 40, and it's awesome. God's doing great things there. So Yeah, so working cool. on the campus of LATC along with just some young adults in that community, and so we're super glad that you're up there and investing in what God's doing up there. And so... Um, if you want an oasis near you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously, yep. we, we kind of jokingly ask, but, but like, but. really, if you want, if you're interested in something like that, like, let's at least have a conversation on what it looks like to partner and for us to equip you in that way, because God's doing something in that that different ways. So, I have a question to ask you before we dive into hell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you've the read the podcast. The you've read the title. of hell, people. We're not not the location, and so the question we're asking is, what's something you here in our little circle right now? What do you not understand? A few things. A lot of things, actually. A lot of things. <laughs> I, I have a very low intellectual capacity sometimes in some, in some things. One, I don't understand why South Dakota drivers can't handle roundabouts. Facts. That's one. God has done a work in my soul to not get angry at them, <laughs> which I'm thankful for. The other thing I don't How understand. How often are you hitting a roundabout? I don't know. I think it maybe is more in Watertown than here. Okay, but yeah, there's enough. only one here. I mean, it's, they sent yeah. out an email when they put it in, so all the SDSU students know how to use it. So that's, yeah, <laughs> that's the one. There you go. Here, people don't understand what they're doing. Um, the second one is I don't understand why and how turtles breathe out their butt. That's it's true. not all the time, though, is it? It's it's they have the opportunity to, and they can. Oh, why can't I? I that's 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 <laughs> a great question. I don't think I want to. Uh, you're snorkeling. You don't need a snorkel. Put their put their rump out the back. <laughs> yeah, but then you can't use your feet. Man. I'm overthinking this. Okay, <laughs> I don't get it. That's a that's a great frozen fact, right? That's where you picked it up. Oh, f- uh, that's where I first initially yeah. heard. Shout it, yes. out Olaf. So I had to look it up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's really know. good. New news right there. You got to watch more Frozen, man. Got to watch it more. You see, when you have kids, there's great great <laughs> ideas in there. Oh, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jacob. What do you not understand, man? Something I don't understand, which is this is a hot take, but. I don't understand why people prefer their water with ice in it. To be honest, I understand that people like it cold, but all the science says that room temperature water is way better for you. Your body uses it faster. It wakes you up better. It's just better for Even you. Even working out, room temperature versus cold. Versus cold is you don't use while. the cold water. Your body has to heat Dang. it up before you can like yep. process it. So it just uses really? more energy. Yes. Yeah, We just think cooler because it, it gives the, uh, the classic human response immediate uh, yeah. uh, gratification versus yeah. actual benef- benefit. So it feels good, but it doesn't actually help you at it's all. Good. I didn't know that. Yeah. One of the now one you know. requirements of the fridge I just bought was that <laughs> it had an ice thing <laughs> because I love ice water. But now... I pretty much never use ice. I don't even have ice trays or an ice maker in my fridge. So Wow. 
That's incredible. I didn't know that. So thank you for opening my eyes. Really your, your presence on the podcast is already paying dividends. <laughs> Something I don't understand is uh, when I was buying this new fridge, I put it in this new house that I bought, and I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast, but here's the thing. I don't understand how furnaces work. And so if you know anything about furnaces, you can go ahead and give me a call. I think mine's working, but I honestly don't know. Like, <laughs> my house is like a decent temperature, but yet like it's cold. It's, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. So It's going to become a furnace hotline for Brennan. Yeah, <laughs> you so should. Frustrated. Yeah, you can call me. Um, <laughs> let me know everything you know about furnaces. You can come over too. I'll feed you dinner to come over and fix my furnace. Unless it's working, and then you just can come over and hang out because it honestly could be. <laughs> but he's working. not going to feed you then. No, I'm just kidding. I probably would. <laughs> just snacks, just snacks. If you can't fix it, I haven't bought groceries in like a month. But maybe if you come over, I'll buy groceries. <laughs> so, with that, the reason we asked this semi-on-topic question is because most people don't understand hell. Most Christians don't understand hell. We have um, abstract, unreal theology or belief around what hell is. And so after doing the heaven podcast in episode 59, a couple of weeks ago, we really wanted to come back and do what's the less fun, (laughs) the less awesome version of, uh, this, this side of the eternal, um, debate. And so we're going to talk to you a little bit about hell. And the reason we're talking to you is because more people believe in heaven and they accept that podcast that we did. And they're like, oh, this is great. I love this. But some people get to this idea of is hell even real? And they just reject it entirely. And we'll take the good that heaven has to offer for eternity, but we won't take the we won't take hell and what it maybe stands as. And so biblically, what we're going to look at today is the fact that heaven is real, but also biblically hell is just as real. And it's talked about as just as real. And Jesus, when you look at through the gospels, how he teaches and what he draws people's attention to, he actually spends more time warning people about the dangers of hell than he does telling them about the hope of heaven. And maybe it was because his culture recognized heaven and was neglecting hell just like ours. But all that I know is that somebody in that time needed to hear what hell was like. And so when we read through the gospels, we see that and we want to continue in that fashion today that we don't want to give you just the the happy side of heaven, but we want to get you the factual biblical reality of what hell is. And so we're going to take what is a logical tract as well as a biblical backing track through the issue and the consequence of hell. You guys good for that? Yep. Does either of you want to start? I'll start. All right. I mean, uh, immediately and initially, the ultimate issue is sin. Why mm-hmm. Why hell exists is sin. And we get Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, since all have sinned, there needs to be a consequence to said sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the punishment for that sin is death. Um, and because sin is the issue, Psalm 51.4 says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil. Sin is against God. And therefore, God, I mean, we, we recognize, recognize and know God hates sin. It is something that literally he can't sit in the midst of. And therefore, because he is a God of justice, he needs, sin needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And so we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Punishment for sin is death, and it's a spiritual death. Um, and it's a sin against God. Yeah, and, and, and in that, I like that Psalm 51 passage because it comes from David as the author after having sinned against two people. So he sleeps with Bathsheba and then he sends Bathsheba's husband Uriah to the front lines and he's murdered there. So he's guilty of adultery and murder in this 
this scenario. And most people would say those that David, when he sinned here, has sinned against those two, that he's hurt Bathsheba in a way that he wasn't allowed to and he was, shouldn't have, and he's murdered this man, Uriah. And But yet when he writes this psalm, he does through he pens through the Holy Spirit this truth that even in sinning against people, ultimately his true sin and his real brokenness comes against God because God's desire in that was broken and God's heart and his purpose for David wasn't fulfilled. And so really, even when we sin in our purposeful, normal, everyday interactions, we might hurt our brothers and our sisters, but ultimately, as God is our Heavenly Father, is the one who we who we sin against in total. So, anybody want to talk about how who God is and that idea and make that jump? Or do you want me to do it? Well, I mean, God is an infinite being. He, from the beginning of time, He created all. He created all good. All things were good from that moment. But as we see in Scripture, when Satan falls, everything starts to go haywire things go down south but because god is infinite this might be a long jump in some minds but god is infinite so the things that his reward is heaven for faithfully serving him which is an infinite place on the flip side of that the punishment for sin also has to be infinite and eternal Mm -hmm. because it's this thing that is outside of time because god exists outside of time so those punishments and rewards also have to be outside of time Mm -hmm. in all aspects yeah and the way that i always like to picture it is our idea of like chronological time so in our moment, when someone sins against us, it there's a point in time where as we continue to live life, we get farther away from that grievance of sin. So say today someone lies to you, in 10 years, there's a lot of distance between that lying. But however, since God sees time, not necessarily chronologically, but more um, on a plane or he sees it more tangibly, physically, and so he exists outside of time. So what's present for him today and what he can see right now, he can also see millions of years into the future, and he's, those both are simultaneous events for him So because that's the weirdness of God existing outside of time. Yeah. If when we sin against him in this moment, to him there is no distance between that and forever. It's all at the same time, at the same moment, because time it doesn't exist for him like it does for us. And so... Yeah, the punishment against him, our sin against him, becomes eternal because today and tomorrow and forever, that sin is just as new and fresh in God's that's eyes good. because it's happened against him. And that's Oof. that's the hard reality is because the the beauty of that is, is when we get invited into that eternal nature, when we get to be a, be a part of eternity with God, there's the reality of heaven. That forever and ever and ever, for all of time, for eternity and for infinity, we get to exist in heaven with God if we know Jesus on the flip side of that, you also have to pay the cost if because we all get to spend eternity somewhere. Yeah. And so you flip the cost and hell becomes the eternal um, suffering and, and punishment for your sin. And so the Because lo- you sinned against an eternal God. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And so in that, the sentence that we'll kind of use to string together is hell is an infinite and eternal death, which we have earned because of our sin against God. And so it's this sentence that I don't love, I don't That's like, <laughs> I wish it didn't exist, but I do believe it's biblical and I believe it's logical and how we've tra- traced that at, out. So now, the next question we're going to ask is what's hell like? Do we have to define sin? Yeah, you can define sin Should if you we? I mean, sure. I mean, there's the classic definition of missing the mark, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's missing the mark on something that honestly is an eternal, infinite Law, I mean, is sure. a weird way to say it, but it's um, it, the idea of again going back to Romans three twenty three. Mm-hmm. All ascend, 
the sin is we miss the mark in falling short of what God has destined and designed us for. Yeah. And so therefore the sin has affected our relationship. It's gone against his desires, his will for us. Mm-hmm. And it's us living into selfishly what we want. So we've all done this. Mm-hmm. So sorry. Just no, that's good. I, I which is why enough. we've earned it. Cause the phrasing earned it is so aggressive, Yeah. but that's the reality. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 And I think earned just comes to this idea is just cause you earned it. Doesn't we have like this idea that earning is a positive thing. But earning is just everything you and you have. The consequences of your actions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's almost more like deserve. Like we deserve it for our actions. Whether yeah. good or bad. Yeah, whether good or bad. But this, yeah. You earn something in life, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And if we ask the question, what it, what hell's like, we have to do it in the same kind of realm that we asked in podcast 59, what is heaven like? And in that, I hope you saw that really we don't have a 100% <laughs> perfect picture or idea of what heaven's like and nor do we have that perfect picture of what hell's like but instead it, it because it's not explicitly described for what it is or how it functions instead we get a lot of metaphors images. we got a lot of images yeah. we get a lot of statements heaven or hell is like and in that i, I think it makes complete sense because the idea of heaven and hell and this in the same sense that the idea of God or the Trinity or God existing out of time, they're so abstract from our present idea and functioning that for us to get an accurate picture of what heaven was like, it probably wouldn't make sense to us and we wouldn't be able to comprehend. So God in his grace actually gives us these better ways to understand what heaven and hell are like by using these metaphors and these images and these like statements. So again, these are descriptive biblically of what hell is like not necessarily exactly what it will be because that yeah. we don't know yep yeah we just got all sorts of like statements just like everything else like we can't understand it because it's above us mm-hmm. it's outside our knowledge but we get knowledge like through scripture through metaphors through similes pretty much everything that's how jesus does everything yeah through stories yeah. so yeah we get all sorts of like statements throughout the gospel new testament and the old testament it's all over scripture and in the gospel, Matthew twenty five forty one, we see that there's this eternal fire. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, we see that's an unquenchable fire. So fire is a big part of it for some reason. But then in Matthew 22, verse 13, we see this utter darkness. And then in Matthew eight twenty, we see intense grief, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, this thing that's just so overwhelming, this grief that can't really explain, but it's just terrible to have on you. Then Daniel 12, 2, we see shame and everlasting contempt. And in Luke 16, 23, 24, we see this torment, this consciousness that you're aware that something's missing in your life, that there's a separation with God because this eternal hell that we have is really just eternal separation from the God, our Father, one who created us, the loving God who's with us. And it's just this thing that we become kind of aware of that like we're missing this aspect of our life and it's Mm -hmm. just this terrible reality. Yeah, Yeah. and going on, do you want to say something? Yeah, I did want want to jump in there because – Someone might be listening and they're like, okay, oof, that was a lot and real quick, which is which is fine. Feel free to go back and re-listen. But the thing is, like, the first two we describe as fire, and then the third one talks about utter darkness. And I don't know if we don't understand what fire is, but fire <laughs> gives off light. So how can it be an everlasting, eternal, unquenchable fire, but yet be utter darkness? And I feel like that's the full... Those two contrasts help us understand the abstractness of the concept we're trying to, to understand, that... It can be both eternal fire, which is light and bright and, and all that we know fire to be. At the same time, it can be utter darkness, and those two don't contradict each other. And logically for us, that doesn't make sense. However, biblically, that's how it's painted, so we have to find that to be the truth. Otherwise, yeah, that's I just wanted to say that. 
<laughs> Perfect. Uh, it also talks about in Second Thessalonians that it's an everlasting destruction, um, which also the idea of hell being everlasting mm. and eternal, I think is hard for some people, but we also see that in Matthew 25, 46, they go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And so it gives off this idea again, if, if, if life, which we do believe if heaven has an eternity to it, there's a correlation then because God is who God is then mm-hmm. also punishment and hell has an eternal aspect to it. Revelation 14, 11 says, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever giving off an eternal perspective. Revelation 20 talks about how hell is like a lake of burning sulfur. Revelation 20, 15, go back to the idea of lake of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, not great. No, <laughs> great. it's definitely not great. <laughs> And here's where we want to jump in, and we want to bring some clarity to why some people wrestle with this issue, that people are frustrated and they don't understand, and they just, they see these biblical statements about hell, and they're like, how could God do that? Like, what good, loving, just, kind God sends people to a place of everlasting fire, um, intense, immense grief, um, contempt, and torment? Like, that seems cruel, and that seems wrong. However, in that, we've overemphasized God's love and his kindness while underestimating his holiness and his righteousness and his judgment and his wrath and like just God's justice. Because knowing who God is as a holy being, he cannot tolerate sin. Yeah. He just, it, it can't, it's not in his nature of who he is as a, as a being, as a divine being. He can't tolerate sin. You see that in the biblical story from the way the people in Israel had to interact with the Holy of Holies, in the way they had to interact in the tabernacle, in the way Adam and Eve had to leave Eden, in the way that God no longer walked face to face with them, in the way that heaven and hell are separated and there's this chasm between the beauty of the perfection of heaven and the evil and the brokenness of hell. This is why we see just, it, it's consistent, this theme that God in his holiness cannot dwell where there's unholiness. That would taint his holiness, yeah. and so the two cannot mesh. It's like, this is a broken metaphor, but it's like the oil and water idea. When you <laughs> pour the oil into water, it separates because yep. the two cannot coexist. They can't mix, and it's God and God and evil don't, aren't able to do the same thing. And so when we recognize that, we see that God hates sin. Proverbs 6, 16 says this to us. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And this is, people often wrestle, because there's a list of things that follow after this. But what I'll explain to you is the list of things that follow after this are more categorical ideas of sin. And the the literary device used here to say that six is what the Lord hates and seven are what detestable to him are all encompassing for the idea of sin. So it's not six specific things, nor is it seven specific things, but rather it's just literal um, metaphor and it's... uh, strategy in order to help us understand or the original readers understand that God hates all sin. It's all detestable to him. And so in that, God's justice is to punish sin because that's who he is as a just and holy and righteous God. And so that needs to be held in tension with his love and his kindness because we like his love and his kindness, but we don't always like his justice and his righteousness or his wrath. But yet that's who he is. Yeah. I think that's something we wrestle with as a culture. Can I use a big word on here? Is that allowed? Oh, no. It's, uh, so in, I've been reading up in theology class and stuff. It's moralistic <laughs> therapeutic deism. It's oh, <laughs> a lot of big words yeah. right there. But I think that's actually how we understand God more so in our culture today. They, 
I actually got this definition from it. All these theologians and people who study what people believe went out and interviewed a lot of people. And from this, they came up with the idea because most people in today's world actually believe that God is just someone who's a good person who's not really super involved in your life until you need him. And you're not going to ever believe that he's going to do bad things. To, like He's not going to judge anybody. Everyone's loved by this God. And he's just going to let everyone go to heaven. And we believe that this guy is just more like do good things. So he's moralistic. And then he wants you to feel good. So he's therapeutic. And he is a God. He's above you. But he's not really involved. So we believe this deism that he's just kind of everywhere living mm -hmm. amongst us but isn't actually interacting with us in any way, trying to change our life for the better now. Mm -hmm. Because people who believe this are just kind of like, I can get to my good place by myself by doing good things and being a good person. Mm -hmm. And it becomes our broken view of who God is or our distorted, unfulfilled view, like our narrow view of who God is and his nature affects our view of eternity, which in, in fact infects our, in, uh, defects, what's the word I'm looking for? breaks our view of hell. So we can't understand hell if we don't rightly understand who God is. And the beauty of it is that, again, the, the wrath and judgment of God is held always in tension with his love and his goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's go there. Let's, well, let's, even like the idea of, and David Platt said it this way, when we minimize the wrath of God, we malign the mercy of God, hmm. which is to drag Drag, like drag through the mud. Yeah. We don't fully understand how powerful the mercy and love and grace of God is when we minimize and don't consider the reality of mm -hmm. the wrath and judgment and holiness mm -hmm. of God. It's huge. Yeah. It, it gives us, a, it should give us a greater appreciation, which we'll get to, of what Jesus has done for us mm -hmm. when we yeah. understand the true wrath yeah. of God. But we got to drag out the bad stuff a little bit more before we get to the good uh -huh. stuff. So, yeah. Jacob, just take us to this next point and kind of explain the origin and, and original purpose of what hell was. Yeah, so hell, like we talked on a little bit earlier that I said, like, in the beginning of time when Satan fell from heaven with all of his demons and everybody, I think that's when hell was actually created for these people who had fallen and separated themselves from God. It was this dwelling place for the demonic spiritual beings. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Apart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's not prepared for us. Like, we were never meant to go there. Mm -hmm. When we were created, it was, we were good. Like, things were supposed to be good. We weren't supposed to fall. I don't think God created us with the intention that we were ever going to fall away, that we were going to sin against mm -hmm. him. But obviously we did. The fall happened. And because of this separation of us thinking we know better than him, we've fallen into this sinful pattern. And because of that, we fall into what Satan and the demons ultimately did. They thought they were better than God. They thought they knew mm -hmm. more than him. And they went to go to this eternal suffering, this eternal fire. And because of that, we've also thought we're better. So we also get to share in that if we choose that path instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so people will be like, well, why would God create a hell? And then he created it to punish those that originally departed from him. He didn't create it for us. Yeah. Yeah. You and everybody you know, nobody's ever meant to go there. God has no desire yeah. nor intention to send anyone to hell, but it's happening, and so we need to address it. And one, we're just going to jump into one quick narrative from Luke 16, and it's the verse. It's verses 19 through 31, and it's Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus is telling this parable, which is a story that he's trying to teach a lesson from, and he sees these two characters and he describes them that the rich man who had an earthly blessing here. Uh, would not take care of the beggar who was Lazarus that would sit at his front gate. And so the beggar died at his front gate, a terrible death from so sores and boils and sickness while the man sat in his mansion living it up. 
and they both end up dying. And Jesus paints us this picture where the man who was the rich man not living in the way of God's kingdom ends up in hell, where Lazarus ends up in heaven. And they can see across the chasm and they have this conversation. Again, probably not (laughs) super realistic to what heaven and hell is like, but it's teaching us something about the story. And so in that, the rich man doesn't ever question his fate. He never asked the question, why am I here? And that's where we come back to that idea of torment and consciousness of the struggle of people in hell. That hell is not just a physical suffering. It's an emotional, a relational, a spiritual suffering where we've been departed from what we were created to be. You were created to be in relationship with God. And hell is a place where you are as far as you will ever get away from your original purpose to walk with God because God doesn't dwell there. Rather, he dwells in heaven. And so in that, Lazarus is is in the torment, or sorry, the rich man is in the torment knowing that he deserves hell, knowing that he didn't live his life the way he should have. And he looks up to heaven and he asks for a little bit of relief from the pain, which isn't granted to him. But then the next thing he asks that I think is really interesting is though he can't find relief he asked that the angel and lazarus would send somebody an angel or some um, some spiritual being back to earth to minister to his friends and his family to tell them that which they had seen and what they had of what he was experiencing so that they would be warned to not go there and in that i just think that's such an incredible picture of this man recognized it in his suffering and his agony and his one desire, his one request was that others wouldn't experience what he's experiencing. And ultimately the conversation goes to, well, they already have all the Testament that they need. They have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the word of God. They, they will have Jesus death, life, death, and resurrection. And so what else do they need? And that's my prompt to you that like, we're going to go to this place and we're going to describe to you everything that you need. But before we get there, we got one last bad point. <laughs> well, that's a bad point. Um, a lot of people will take, and some people will take, the especially the Revelation text, uh, talking about hell, talking about eternal punishment as symbolism. Even in the Gospel test of when Jesus talk, talks about hell, they'll take it as uh, the you yeah take a symbolic interpretation of the test of these texts, and I could see how you could get there because a lot of Revelation for us probably is symbolic in some ways, but I think the way we interpret it and see it, it's not really that symbolic. There's a reality of an internal punishment of the wrath of God on display for sinners, uh, those who've gone, gone against what he desires for all people. But even if it is symbolic, it's symbolic towards something that's horribly and incredibly frightening and disturbing and not good. And mm-hmm. ultimately, as Brennan had just said, not God's desire for you. Yeah. So in that, how do we avoid it? How do the people we love avoid it? How do we point people towards a way to escape this terrifying, disturbing reality of fire and darkness and pain and suffering and torment? Is there a way out, guys? Sunday school answer, anyone? Jesus. (laughs) You're welcome for the softball. Now someone go ahead and follow, follow that up if you would. Yeah, so ultimately our way out is obviously Jesus. It is the Sunday school answer, but that's what he came to do was to give us that pathway to have eternal life. It says in Scripture over and over again that believing in him, believing in his work, his work on the cross is our way to eternal salvation, to our eternal life. Oh. So we, we, we know God is just, and when we know... 
Oh, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob just had a moment. Jacob almost died. It's okay. He's a noob. <laughs> uh, so when we recognize God is just and that sin deserves a payment and it needs a payment that in order for people like us who are sinners to stand back in the right, in the just, holy, righteous presence of God, we need some sacrifice. We need some payment, some propitiation. Ben likes that word. We can just read um, the verse if you want to. Yeah, you can if you want. <laughs> but uh, the sin must be paid for. And so in that, God in his lovingness, in his goodness, in his mercy has given us that payment. Yep. And he's paid it himself. He loves you, John 3.16, and he wants you to be saved, Second Peter 3.9. And so he sent Jesus, his son, who is God himself in the flesh as the payment. And Jesus as an infinite being pays what is an infinite death for all of our infinite sin debt. And it becomes a final, lasting, atoning, forever sacrifice for our sin. Yeah. That's good. I mean, it's just, to me, everything Brennan said is clear, is in Romans 3.25. There you go. It's God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, mm-hmm. this idea of reconciliation, to be able to fix the issue, the problem of our separation of, in relationship with God mm-hmm. because of our sin. So atonement, it's fixed by the sacrifice of Jesus through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And this is idea of patience. He had left um, having patience because of the sins committed beforehand. God had the opportunity, the moment sin entered the world, to give punishment and justice at that moment mm-hmm. eternally. Adam and Eve have had died spiritually but they had not yet died physically. God could have made it happen. Mm. In his justice, he could have done it. But in his patience, because of his mercy, because of his grace, he decided not to. And so the punishment that we deserve because of our sin Mm -hmm. was appeased by, which sounds like a simple (laughs) word, but it really is such a big word, which is what propitiation means to appease. Mm -hmm. It's what we deserve to die in our sin, Jesus died for us. And it was Christ's atoning death on the cross, the reconciliation, the fixing of the gap, the relationship that was there that he did. And, it's just, and it was to prove his justice and his righteousness and his holiness that he did it. Because mm-hmm. it was a recognition that these humans, these people who I love, who I created, can't fix this on their own. Yep. They need right. me to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And Jesus did it for us. Yeah. yeah, Which is the gospel message. That is truly what the whole gospel is about. I think... Yeah, this is a intimidating topic, hell, and it's highly debated. And it's like, what does it really mean? And like, it's scary. Why would I want to think about that? But ultimately, like, it's not something that we need to live in fear of, but rather be sparked on by, in my mm. opinion. Like, it's something that like should drive us. Like, if we have loved ones, if we know somebody who we don't think has a faith in Jesus, like, why would we sit back and just know that this reality is there and not say anything? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you afraid of? That they might get mad at you in the moment? Mm-hmm. Why would that matter in the long run? Like, that doesn't matter at all as long as there's their soul is what you should care about. Like, mm-hmm. if you care about people, care about their souls. Yeah, and, and the beauty of it is becomes that there's these ideas that hell is a choice, hell is a door locked from the inside, and that everybody that goes to hell chooses to be there. Even if they haven't consciously made a choice that says, hey, I'd like to pick hell. Like, I would hope nobody picks that, but there's probably some people out there They've made a choice by not choosing Jesus. And so by rejecting the work of the cross, the resurrection of God himself, they have chosen the only other option that there is. And so they picked that place. And so it's not by God's 
unloving nature that they and they end there. It's by their own pride and selfishness and lack of clarity in who Jesus is. And so, Acts 16, I think, is a great place to end. Paul is having this conversation with this jailer in verse 30 and 31. The jailer turns to Paul and he says, how should I be saved? In verse 30 and verse 31, Paul simply says, repent and believe. And it's this one-two punch that it's the question so many people ask with the answer everybody needs. And Paul has come and he's told you the way to life, the way to be saved, the way to avoid hell, the way to inherit heaven. And as John 3.16 says, God first God so loved his son that he gave his one for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish there you go escaping hell but have eternal life yeah. and we get to not be saved from just hell but to heaven and to all that God has for us and so if you need to listen to these in combo listen to the hell one take the information wrestle with it and understand the nature and of God the duality now, I don't like the word duality because that's simple contradicts itself the whole picture of who god is and then go listen to the heaven one again because it'll point you to just the beauty of what heaven's supposed to be it's good so thank you guys for tuning in uh, i hope you learned something i hope you enjoyed just this little conversation and that you never have to experience it so <laughs> thank, thank you jesus, jesus. <laughs> see you guys <laughs>